All right, here we go again with this week's uh, edition of the uh, series of podcasts that we're bringing to you from uh, life in Eastern Furnace Village section in the 1940s and uh, 1950s. Today's uh, episode is entitled Marbles for Keeps. The clay marbles were not much valued. Ten of that variety might be worth one of the glass agates we played for keeps. This game is close to gambling as we got. Of course, it was ultimately a game of skill, and I recall myself as only able to about break even. One thing I knew was that you did not play against Teeny Freitas. He was the schoolyard's best marble player. My friend Richard Anderson and I matched pretty evenly and played often. We did not play standard rules of making a circle and trying to knock your opponent's marbles out of that ring. Our objective was to toss and place your agate into the small hole that we had dug in the ground. Those that didn't make it into the original throw were then pushed in by one's curled index finger. The player with all his marbles in the hole first was the winner and got to keep the loser's agates that were in the hole if they were playing for keepsies. A variety of the rules had us use a popper, an oversized pretty glass marble that was tossed first and then play was centered on the popper instead of the hole in the ground. After doing my chores, you know, feed the chickens, tend the pony, slop the hogs, feed and milk the goat, etc., I'd get on my bike and do the paper route. This was after school. It would still only be 5 o'clock or so. Some days I'd go visit my chum Emery Dill, whose father was a caretaker at Russ Murray's place on Howard Street. The Dills lived over the garage across the street from the main house. The estate, owned by Russ Murray, who also owned the Raynham Dog Track, was a fascinating place with lots to do, but the big event was the high kids we'd get from Rocky Marciano if he was in training at the Murray place. Rocky would spar, jump rope, hit the punching bag, and do road work with a jog up Howard Street. We would tag along behind and just glow to be in his presence. Many years later, as a stockbroker, Rocky had an account with me. He was quite conservative in his investments, favoring tax-free municipal bonds. The annual event was in the fall the Great Brockton Fair. There was even a day for students when admission was free and the school systems gave the day off to attend the fair. My father, tattered by the the Depression, always told us that such falderall was a waste of money and we were to carefully budget the amount we spent at the fair. Mum would pack us a lunch to save the 15 cents that a hot dog cost We ate under the big tree near the Massachusetts Agricultural Building. The treat, after this repast, was to buy a frozen custard. I have never tasted one that was so good since. It was a huge machine that produced the ambrosia and likely a predecessor of today's Dairy Queen. Later, we might watch the Lucky Tita Show. He was a daredevil auto driver who took his vehicle over ramps through fires and into bodies of water to the delight of the thousands present. Motorcycles raced around a barrel-like building called the Wall of Death, fully perpendicular to the walls, defying gravity. 
It was free admission to the big stage show later, which was followed by fireworks. We sure loved that fair. On hot summer days, we youngsters went to the old swimming hole on South Street. It was simply a wide spot on the stream that went to the, f- to the Phillips farmstead. We jumped from the muddy banks into three to five feet of muddy water with the depth depending on recent rainfalls. The common enemy was the bloodsuckers that shared the dirty liquid with us. We took turns picking them off one another. Up a path across the street was Keith's Pond, where male early teenagers would swim au natural or do skinny dipping. The young lasses would shriek in mock surprise to see us fellows in the buff, but they knew what they would probably see before they headed up that wooded path. In the furnace, as we called it, no one had a television set except the Munier family on Foundry Street near South Street. The wood furniture in which it was encased dwarfed the small round screen. All were invited to watch. On my paper route and after my paper route, I might arrive at the house about 3.30 p.m. There was not 24 hours a day. Programs, all we might see would be the test pattern on the screen. We didn't care. We sat and watched the pattern in wonderment until a real show came on. Red Sox games were shot from one camera over the pitcher's shoulder. Instant replay was decades away. Boy Scouts were a good group. We camped out in the woods off Paquanicut Avenue near the Bass Homestead. The Nodbeck boys, Jack Schleicher, Steve Hanscom, brother Bud were among the regulars. We camped on our own quite a bit. Dick Brady, brother Bud, Steve Hanscom, and I would tow a lightweight trailer behind our bikes to what is now Borderland State Park, and we would fish and forage for veggies from the Ames fields. We caught the very bony pickerel, sweet catfish, we called them hornpout, and perch. Using our Boy Scout cook kits, we fried the fish in oil after breading them with flour. A can of baked beans was not considered cheating. Spam was common addition to breakfast. During the day, we might go spy on the Ames young folk as they drove around in the old Ford Fliver that had been converted to a runabout. They never saw us. At least I don't think they did. Ah, better youth, one could not have. <laughs>